Well, if you have a Bible, grab it. Is this working? Yeah, it's there. Uh, if you have a Bible, grab it. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 14 together. It's the story that we just heard from the Jesus Storybook Bible. The story of, of Naaman healed by God by way of Elisha. So let's read that together this morning. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. We're, I was actually talking about this passage in my house last night with uh, my in-laws and, and my niece and so on. And we were like, how much money actually is that? Uh, the gold itself is about f- over $4 million in today's money. So that gives you an idea, 150 pounds of gold. All right, and we'll continue. Uh, verse 6, the letter he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter... I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? What is this fellow sends someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See, now he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him the message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out and see me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar the rivers of Damascus better than the waters here in Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, Wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself into the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. 
When we left the story, perhaps we could say last week or the week prior, it seemed that we had left the story with people in capable hands. David. David was the king of Israel. And now we enter the book of Kings. And as we follow the story through the book of Kings, if we would, would read both of them, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, we would find the people of God are drifting away from God. The people of God are drifting away from God just like the kings themselves. David's son Solomon became king. That's what we would read in the beginning. And, and he asked for wisdom from God and he built the temple, but things took a turn. He started amassing war horses, something that Israel, Israelite kings were not to do. Solomon's son and the kings that followed along, even the people of Israel who followed along, they drifted away from God. The nation of Israel split into two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. This book actually was likely written after the people of Israel were already in exile, and it was to show the people this is how you got where you are today. A way to show history. These probably are not people's most favorite books to read. Can anyone raise their hand that the book of Kings is their favorite, either first or second or both? No one? <laughs> no one. It's a problem because the story is how God's people turned away from God, and that's never really a fun story to read where people ignore the, the warnings that God was giving them through the prophets who were largely rejected and cast aside as the people themselves just did what they pleased. Yet though God's people were rejecting and turning away from Him, God continued to work. That would be the other theme of the books of Kings. That God Himself was going to be at work whether God's people were following Him or not. God at work perhaps in other nations. God at work perhaps in stories that we read about Elisha and Elijah who was before Him. In this particular instance, we hear of a story of Elisha. And in reality, what we see is God speaking through this story, saying that though Naaman seems so far off from God, that God will provide a way for even him to experience salvation. It shows us how the Lord saves those who are far off. That's good. 
because the people of Israel too would say they would be far off from God, removed from the temple, living in exile. If we look at verse 1 again, now Naaman was the commander of the army, the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Maybe it'll go up there. Maybe it won't. Bree, you want to put that first verse up? Naaman's kind of a big deal, we could say. He is courageous. He is militarily intelligent. He is so great that even his own king praises him and says, he is the best. He is, he is the one who I want to lead my army. He is, he is so great. He is a guy that you want to pay attention to. He's the guy that you notice when he walks into the room. I think one of the most interesting things that we see here is this word right here, the Lord. Because through Him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. Here we have Someone who does not worship the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, and instead is worshiping the God of Syria, and somehow the Lord is working through him. The book of Kings is God's sovereignty over not just the nation of Israel, but also over the world, the surrounding nations. Though Naaman would battle against Israel, still God would work through him. We could say that Naaman is far from the Lord because he worships a different God. But we would also say he would be far from the Lord because he had leprosy. Leprosy is, is a skin disease. It's actually various skin diseases. Maybe you have a footnote in your Bible that says that. We're not quite sure which one perhaps it was. But leprosy for the Israelites, if Naaman was an Israelite, would be the only disease that would limit a person from entering the temple in order to worship God. Perhaps you could even say that they then would be out of reach of the Lord. Disqualified from worshiping God in the temple, no longer near the presence of God. They were far away. People in Israel were required to wear torn and tattered clothing. If they had leprosy. They needed to be kind of kicked out of the camp, and they needed to live in the outskirts away from everybody else. They needed to keep their hair disheveled, and, and if they were walking around where anyone else would have been, they needed to yell, unclean, 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 kind of say, stay away from me, don't touch me, social distancing perhaps to the extreme. Naaman, we could say, is really far from God. And yet, 
even though Naaman was an oppressor of Israel, God was working through him, working through one who had leprosy, and even more so, God would find a way for him to experience salvation, to, be, to have his life restored. And when you think about it, the, the way of salvation comes through an unlikely person. A little girl. The little girl, she says to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy, this servant girl who was taken captive. And despite being taken captive and, and living with an essentially an oppressor, she was not bitter. Though her life had taken a turn that she had not expected, she did not remain unhelpful. She does not hide information that would lead to this other individual's salvation. She does not hide information that would lead to her oppressor's health. She does not actively oppose him either. Instead, she shares freely information that would provide for that individual's flourishing of life. saying he can be healed by a prophet in Samaria. We think back just a little ways back to Abraham and the initial call that he had from the Lord that his descendants would be able to bless the nations. I wonder if this is just a small picture of that of the nations being blessed by one of his descendants. And after Naaman hears this information, he gets rather excited about it. I, I think maybe you would get excited too if you were in his situation. How, how many of us would be excited if we had an issue that we couldn't handle on our own? Perhaps we, we tried to go see the best doctors in the world if it was a health problem, and, 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 and that didn't work, and then we went and we tried herbal medicine and, and everything we could try to do to get rid of the skin disease that was a part of our life, so clinging to who we were. Man, how excited would you be when someone would say, go to this place and see this person they can heal you. Bruce, I think they'd be pretty excited about that, wouldn't you? They'd be pretty excited that they have a way to have their life restored and renewed, and, and that is exactly what happens to Naaman. He says, well, I need to go see. So he sees his own king, his master, and he says, there's this guy. He's a prophet. I don't know much anything about him, but this little girl says he can heal me. And, and so the king writes this letter. He's like, I'm going to write a letter to the king of Israel and say, heal this man, heal my servant Naaman. And so then Naaman gathers together. He gets on his horses. He gathers 750 pounds of silver and, and 150 pounds of gold and 10 
items of clothing or, or clothing, which was rather rare, perhaps we could say, new clothing. And he gets everything together and heads for the king of Israel. I don't know how good your memory is, but where did, where did the little girl go to see? Where did she say you needed to go? Was it the king of Israel? See, here's the thing. Oftentimes, when, when we're looking for healing, we, we turn to powerful people in powerful situations rather than to the place that we actually need to turn. Naaman, Naaman thinks, well, if there's a prophet in Israel, surely that prophet will be commanded by the king, and so I'll go to the king. That, that king will, will tell me what to do and how to, how to get healed, and, and we'll do that. Turning to the wrong place. Because sometimes even the most powerful people, like the king of Israel perhaps in this case, cannot affect the change that we desire. And here is Naaman heading to that powerful person. And he says he can't do it. He says this in 2 Kings 5, verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read that letter that Naaman gave to him, he said, am I God? Can I kill and, and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy. He's like, I can't do this. And then he goes and he, and he tears his clothes. The, the sick Syrian needs a little bit of a different power. He needs someone different than just a powerful political person like the king of Israel. We need something more than that. And it's interesting that if you looked in 2 Kings chapter 4, that just as this king said, can I kill someone and bring them back to life? Elisha brings back to life the son of a Shumanite. There is one who can bring back to life. Restore life where there was once a cold body. Restore life where there was perhaps white skin full of disease. And so Elisha sends a letter to get Naaman to come to him. And even though Elisha knows that Naaman will be coming, he just hangs out in his house. He doesn't even perhaps even get out of his easy chair. I don't think he had a lazy boy. But he doesn't even leave his house. He just sends a messenger to say, yeah, go tell Naaman to do this thing. Elisha sent a messenger to say, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Bathe in the river Jordan. Bree, can you go to the picture? There's the River Jordan. Emily and I had an opportunity, I don't even remember what year it was, before the twins were born. They turned four this year. So, four years ago, we'll say. Five years ago. 
I didn't want to step into the River Jordan, I'm going to be completely honest. I had heard about bacteria in the River Jordan, that it wasn't really safe water that you wanted to, to be in. And there I am standing in the River Jordan. As you can see, it is not a crystal clear Lake Michigan. It is a murky, silty, dirty river. Perhaps sometimes we need someone to talk some sense into us. In this case, it was Emily. She said, when are you going to actually have another time to step in the Jordan River? Why don't you just get over yourself and get in the river? And if you really need to, we got some baby wipes and some sanitizer, and you can sanitize your feet and legs after you're done. Of which I did do that. not going to lie. And so it's to this river that Elisha says, go bathe yourself seven times in this murky, silty, dirty, muddy river. And Naaman thinks, this is not fitting of a man of my status. Isn't there better rivers where I'm from that are clearer, nicer, that I'd want to dip my face in, actually? Isn't there some better way that you could do this? Can't you just like wave your hand over me and call to your God? There's got to be a better way because I'm not doing this. And so he goes away. He wasn't expecting a dirty river. But he too had someone talk some sense into him. And once again, it was a servant. It was a, it was a servant, an Israelite servant that said, go to Samaria to see the prophet. And now it's once again a servant to Naaman who talks some sense into Naaman. Saying this in verses 13 and 14, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he just tells you, wash and be clean. Wash and be cleansed. So then Naaman, he dipped, he went down and he dipped himself in that dirty, murky, silty, muddy river seven times. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Though Naaman was initially prideful, thinking he was better than something that was being asked of him. He took the small step of faithfulness to do the simple task that was asked of him. Go wash. Seven times. And that led to his healing and to his own transformation. His restored life, you could say. Grace. Grace that God gave to someone who had been an oppressor of Israel. Grace that God gave to someone who worshipped the Syrian God. Grace. Restoration of life. 
And I, I think it's interesting how perhaps even in our own life we say things like, well, I don't have that great of a testimony. You know, God didn't like miraculously come down and I don't remember when I became Christian. I've kind of just always been that way. Because it was the small steps of faithfulness throughout the years that brought you to that point. And somehow we, like Naaman, would rather have the big thing happen. The big life transformation in our life instead of following through on small steps of faithfulness. Go cleanse and wash. You'll become clean. In our lives, sometimes it's a slow and quiet movement that God takes us on. One step of small faithfulness after another. One step of small faithfulness after another. Another step of small faithfulness after another. And God moves us, transforming us, though it doesn't happen perhaps overnight like layman's leprosy going away. We find ourselves moving from this place with a heart that is prideful and selfish and dead set on what we want and how we want to get it, yet through those small steps of faithfulness, year after year, day after day, month after month, we get to this other place of life change, of life transformation where we don't think selfishly anymore. Instead, we are... We are embracing the servant heart nature of Christ. Where we see one another and want to serve one another, want to honor one another, want to love one another in ways that we would perhaps not done before. Here's the thing, no matter how far we are over here like Naaman was, serving a different God, serving ourselves, being prideful, no one is ever too far on this side to escape the grasp of God working through them and God's grace in their life. You can't get too far this way. Even Israel as they are in exile away from God, they will not be too far away from God to be out of His grasp and out of His grace. Because even though they felt that way, God would send someone to live with them. Jesus Christ Himself, the presence of God, living with his people. They would not be in exile forever. For God would personally seek them out so that they may see him and experience his love.
His never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love that will reach out to you no matter how far you think you are from Him. Because if God can use a muddy, silty, dirty stream to restore a sick general to life, then he can use the blood of Jesus to restore our sick heart, to cleanse it and make it whiter than snow. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are never too far. We are never so lost that we cannot experience your grace and your love in our life. We pray that you would help us to take those small steps of faithfulness. That each of us may be transformed in some way to look more and more like you day after day, month after month, year after year. Use us like servants, like the little girl, the little servant girl, to help point people to the way of salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.